Hi, welcome to Bound the Context. I'm your host, Ryan Schraver. And with me today, I have the one, the only, Tom Ilmincy. Welcome to the program, Tom. Thank now, you Tom, for me. You probably have, I think, the longest title of anybody. Let me see if I get this right. You're the CEO and co-founder of Orville Music Park. Check. Correct. You're the principal product strategist at Philosophy. I'm a principal uh, product strategist. Product strategy, that philosophy. Not the only, but uh, the only. Uh, okay. But I'm sure one of the best. Um, and then you're a troublemaker, you're a stoic, you're a child of the cosmos, and you're a guitar god. Is all that true? Not the last one. Not the I, last one. I play guitar. You play I, guitar. I am far from anything but a mortal on the instrument. All right. Well, we're going to get to the very end of it. We'll talk about music at the very end of the interview, but let's first dive in. So, oh yeah. So Tom, talk to our listeners. What sort of problems, I mean, Bound to Context is all about problem solving. What kind of problems do you tend to focus on? um, Yeah, in your different roles. What kinds of problems? It's a, ain't life just nothing but problems? You're always (laughs) trading one set of problems for a different set of problems. There's, There's never a state where you're like, you're done. Like all, there's no problems. Everything's done. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's infinite. It's, it's always about navigating. So at Orbital Music Park, four big problem buckets that were, that sort of inspired the whole thing. And I guess I should explain what it is. You know, explain a bit background. It's, you don't mind. It's a, we are an inclusive community space for creative people who make noise. So singers, drummers, bands. Uh, we have we have an opera singer. Wow. We have uh, classical revolution in the mix. So any anybody who's making a making a racket, making a noise, or or doing anything with sound can come to Orbital and have a, an inspiring, safe, clean, creative space to go to do their thing. And we started it about three years ago, and we've been navigating the pandemic somehow as a, as a pretty small uh, music venue. Somehow we're able to operate safely. And, uh, but our, the, the premise behind Orbital is recognizing the issues that um, sound artists face or, or music makers. Uh, not necessarily musicians, but anybody who's trying to make music. One is um, one one big problem is uh, uh, how are you improving on your instrument? What's your routine like? How do you get better? Uh, well, um, a lot of people spend time with YouTube, like learning scales, learning songs. Um, and there are all kinds of cool apps to help you progress, especially during quarantine. You've been like, I'm gonna learn piano. I'll take the Herbie Hancock challenge and like take all, do all the videos. And that's a great way to learn. But there, often those systems lack feedback, you know, immediate feedback, unless you're working with a teacher directly. And in some cases, formal music education isn't for everybody either. Um, you just for different learning styles or, you know, maybe you just like to play guitar while you're watching TV and learn a couple of chords or whatever. So one problem is 
how do you know you're getting better? What's your process like for self-improvement on your instrument? That's an that's a interesting, good problem. And then the next one is, um, well, kind of connected to the first one. Uh, really, one of the best ways to improve as a music maker is to play with other people. Sit around, people, play with people who are better than you or teach other people who are just starting on their journey or make stuff as a, as a group, like a, as a duet or a trio or a quartet, or if you dare, a septet, an octet. Octet, are you what? a good octet? A deck yeah. ahead. I don't think that's well, a thing, but you can go yeah, all the yeah. way up to orchestras and all this stuff. But just say t- getting two people together to play together, you know, that's a really awesome way to learn. But where the heck are you going to find someone to play with? It's the worst. Yeah. You can put an ad on Craigslist, like wanted someone to play guitar with no, no cat pee. (laughs) I don't know. I have a cat pee story, but not for today. But finding people to play with is just hard. It's like dating but somehow worse because if you're a drummer, you don't you don't just show up at a, at a date. And you're like, oh, let's see if we have chemistry. No, you got to bring 400 pounds of crap to somebody's house. Super worst. So that's problem number two is finding people to play with. Oh, I've already hinted at problem number three. Where the heck are you going to do all this noise making? Their house? You just met. You're going to go over there. Your house, where? In your kitchen, in your dining room. So that's one of the biggest problem areas um, we're finding is is space that's conducive to to getting loud or like even even um, we, one of our members is a is an opera singer preparing for a big performance of Carmen, and wow. she lives in a. Uh, like an apartment or a townhouse or something where there are certain noise restrictions. So even as amazing as that voice is, there's a constraint about doing it at home. There has to be a place to really be able to kind of turn up and not be self-conscious about making noise. And if you're a drummer, oh my gosh, maybe if you live in a house way out in the the county, you don't have to worry about it. But if you live in the fan and you yeah. don't have like an amazing studio basement, yeah, you're not playing drums. So one of the things, we, that's one of the things we offer is a, a place to get loud and to be with other people who can also get loud. And then the fourth problem is sort of like a bit more ambient, but it's it's more sort of an identity thing. And it's like for someone who owns a guitar, or a ukulele or a saxophone that they played in high school, what's their relationship to that instrument? And how does that create a social object with other people who also have instruments? Where do you fit? Um, I wouldn't necessarily call myself a musician uh, in the sense that I don't enjoy reading sheet music and I'm not very good at it. On the other hand, I, I can improvise pretty well, and I, I was a semi-professional musician in the 90s, so I, I actually made some money at it for a little while. But 
this sort of like, who am I <laughs> with this thing that makes sound or my voice or whatever, where do I fit in? Where's my tribe of people? Where's my community at? You know, and there are like little scenes, and especially in Richmond, like um, there's Classical Revolution RBA, which creates a little micro community for symphony musicians and orchestra musicians. There's RBA Rap Elite, which is uh, another amazing, vibrant community of um, uh, rappers and hip hop artists and producers and, and all the stuff that they're making. And then, you know, there's various rock and roll scenes, there's jazz scenes that are usually anchored around like uh, a, a department at VCU or a University of Richmond or something like that. But all these little bubbles of communities just kind of like floating, floating in the, in the constellation of Richmond or Virginia or the East Coast or the United States or whatever equator side of the equator. <laughs> but that, that, that connects back to this concept of orbital music park and sort of our cosmic theme. And that is recognizing that we're all little pieces of a vast constellation of music. And what we offer is a place to kind of, a hub to kind of tether yourself to as much as you want, where you, where every music maker, every player is has a home, you know, they're, yeah. you're, you're accepted for what, whoever you are and whatever you're making, and we're in this together. So that's like, these are big, interesting, juicy problems on the orbital yes. side. Yeah, and so if you think, so, so then share, contrast that with sort of on your, as your role as sort of product strategist, Sure. To be like sort of what are the problems and tell me about like the clients you work for and those sort of problems you're solving there. Yeah. Well, as a, as a consultant, uh, <laughs> the, the joy is being able to show up in, in environments and for various clients who raise the flag up the pole, like, Hey, <laughs> we have, we're something we can't figure out or something we're not staffed to handle or, a new question that is really confusing. Um, someone help. And when we show up, it's not that we have the answer. It's not like, oh yeah, it's right here. Here you go. That's 43. Uh, we, yeah, it's, it's, answer, it's answer 23, of course. Um, we, we, we just told everybody the consulting secret, Tom. I don't know if you that's right. That. Now we're all out of business. Oh. We just have the, the, the tools and uh, experience and, well, maybe, maybe courage to um, yeah. explore ways to move forward on things. Um, it's a, one of the things I love about, about working at philosophy is that it really forces me to put into practice the, the principles of actual Stoicism, of Stoic philosophy, ancient Greek and Roman definition of what Stoicism is, not the sort of modern, it's not a, it's not just Stoic isn't defined as someone who just kind of like 
deals with hard stuff without emotion. That's like mm -hmm. one crappy definition of stoic. That ain't what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the mindset that the obstacle that you're facing is actually the fuel you need to unlock the innovation that the way the way forward is is through a problem hmm. that the hard cards you got dealt this morning are actually a gift for you to figure out a, uh, a clever way to kind of play the hand not to hmm. complain about it but to figure out a way through it which is a principle that we've certainly applied at <laughs> trying to run a music venue in a pandemic yeah yes it's like oh we have to close. How do we make the best of this? What can we learn from it? Uh, how do we help make this moment or leverage this moment to sort of practice some self-improvement and, and actually serve people who are really hurting? You know, it's like an invitation to wake up. And so that that's where doing product strategy with philosophy and doing orbital music park sort of interlock is sort of like the thrill of um, receiving hard problems and using it as fuel for creative activities. And like we were talking about before, Ryan, you know, like the reality is it's, you're always trading today's set of problems for a different set of problems tomorrow. Yes. You're not like, you never get to like zero problems. Yes. Like, we've done it. It's all solved. See you later. The road goes on forever. Um, trade-offs. Yeah. And so when you get, so let's talk about the product strategy stuff. So it sounds like you come in, you get sort of anchored on what problem they're trying to sort of solve. And then talk us through sort of the, what is your approach? Like, how do you help like either your own mental approach or how do you help them go from what problem do you really have to presumably some, I'm assuming the output, some sort of product strategy um, around this one, or how do you yeah. walk us through sort of the, the, your, your, your method methods? Yeah. Well, yeah. And I'm glad you, you pluralized it. Yes. Uh, it's not just because, one. Sorry, there's lots. <laughs> yeah. I, th I think one of the hard lessons I've finally, by the way, just a quick aside. So um, a couple of days ago, I had a birthday, number, birthday. number 49. I'll be really oh, 49. You're, 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 you're only slightly older than me. So I was thinking about like, like 49, hmm, that's 49 years. Everybody talks about years. And then I heard, um, I, I'm reading a book by um, Neil deGrasse Tyson about, it's called Welcome to the Universe. And he's not the only author. There's some other authors, I just can't remember them right off the bat yet. But in, in the, the first chapter, he talks about celebrating his um, billionth second alive. I was like, a billion seconds? What? Whoa. That's amazing. And then it got me thinking, well, I wonder how many days old I am. And it turns out um, today, Today is number 17,887 days. Wow. And I think the next big milestone, the party, is going to be on 18,000 days. So how close is that going to line up to? 
I don't know. But that's but what that's but, but in, So in lieu of a 50th birthday party, you're going to have 18,000 day birthday Yeah. Party. Let's nice do 18,000 days. That yeah, seems dude. cool. We should get a band I'm together or and have a big celebration. I know. We'll have 18,000 cupcakes. And no. <laughs> <laughs> That's 18,000 like people, 18,000 candles. Um, but actually, how does this apply to the question you asked about that? What's your process? <laughs> yes, I'm wondering. I'm wondering. Tell me. Perspective. Number one is, is getting perspective, zooming in and out, understanding that there's not just one way of looking at things, right? Like 49 years is just sort of like the obvious first impression. But measuring that in seconds changes things. Measuring that in days changes things. So coming into a problem space as a, as a new and curious person, uh, having the ability that maybe some of our clients don't to zoom in and out of the detail mm -hmm. and to get very abstract and to ask um, questions that just sort of help us get a sense of what, what the challenges are really about. You know, there's always like a surface level, like, oh, this hurts. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, what's this connected to? <laughs> what's that connected? And, you know, um, a lot of uh, sort of problems in the product, you know, if you're called in because like, you know, there's some metric that we're missing, you know, it's like retention. We have retention problems or whatever. Usually you can trace them back into all kinds of other parts of, of the organization and realize that that problem downstream has a connection point upstream that also needs some love and attention. Yes. It's interesting. And that is just a question of uh, how, how much remediation do you really want to do given the time box you're in? You know, as we said, you're not going to solve the problem. Mm -hmm. You're just going to trade this set of problems for a better set of problems, I think. Right? <laughs> like, for example, like, I'm just going to get abstract here. This is not work I've, I've done at all. Um, but like, if, if you were, if the, if the client was like, we need a new CMS so that we can do, you know, automate some of our content on our website, whatever. And they're like, well, it won't be great when we have that CMS and we're doing all that stuff. Yes, it will be. And you're going to need to hire some new people to help run it. You're going to have to do, you're going to have different moderation and governance issues. You're going to have, you know, fun problems where, you know, something goes missing. You're going to have to audit it. You're going to have, you know, let's just be real. You know, it's not just like you get to happy land and now you're, <laughs> there's nothing. So, um, you know, I, I think part of the, the method and the process is just understanding that you're, you're always trading one set of problems for a different set of problems. Hopefully you're trading the gnarly, nasty stuff that's causing all the pain for a different set of problems that you can actually manage, that you have the tools to be able to solve on your own that isn't so painful. Yeah. Let me ask you, when you get in and you're sort of you mentioned curiosity earlier. You're getting in there, you're digging around, you're zooming in and zooming out. Do you use this concept of outcomes to sort of 
help orient them and say, Liz, are we on the same page? Is this what you're trying to achieve? Or do you use some other sort of mechanism to sort of try to guide them towards, um, not in terms of solutions per se, but in terms yeah. of serving as that guide? How do you go about that sort of trying to set the, the direction or, or, or define the direction a bit more? Yeah. Okay, sure. Uh, I think this this notion of being outcomes driven is kind of the current state of evolution of agile thought practice of you know applying lean startup. Totally cool, way better than output orientation. Agreed. But still, out like outcomes are. It's, it's sort of like a different way of saying, like, what are your goals? <laughs> it is, on the one hand. Um, but on the other hand, a lot of times when I get engaged, clients are like, we want to go build X. We want to go stand up a news. They want to go do something. Somebody yeah. said that they ought to go do something. Right. And they get pulled into and it's like, so why are you doing that? And yeah. you know, because of... <laughs> Oh, we're going to get all these sort of this and this and this. Okay, well, that's true. Or, or, or there's what you're trying uh, to achieve. Right. Um, I've learned that in, in my time, and I did sort of lead the witness on that one a bit, uh, so that outcomes are... You had something to say about it. Yeah, yeah, listen. listen I'll build on whatever you lay down. Let's do yeah, it. Yeah, this is good. This is good. Well, I, I'm, I'm genuinely interested because, you know, on the one hand, a lot of times you, you talk about people not, but in practice... You know, I, it, it doesn't tend to happen or it's like a, it's a bit of the thing you do in discovery before you get into sort of the fun things. And, you you know, you, you yeah. sort of, you know, then it's all about oh, the like fun, cool sort of things. Mapping, before. mapping your yeah. uh, outcomes and having like a workshop where you work on your OKRs and then yes. it's like delivered. And then everybody goes back to doing all that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's, you know, once a quarter, time to set the OKRs. Yes. And then. <laughs> You know the, the the ever popular how many layups are in your okrs that are just kind of like yes. you know yeah. our key result is we're going to grow <laughs> yes some channel by x whatever well i i think the the mindset of wanting to improve is freaking rad and that mindset is really important because what you don't want is a new website. What you want are customers who are calling the support line less. Mm -hmm. you, what you want is uh, uh, more satisfied customers who are buying the stuff that you hope they will buy if it's an e-commerce site. Yeah. Or maybe it's like... Uh, selling accessories or attachments. And it's not just that the attachment rate is better, but your customers feel like they're being served better, they're being educated better, they're being taken care of. Like those are the outcomes, you know, that we're yeah. after. It's just, isn't it a tragedy though, when um, we, we're so excited to get to the work that we love to do that we skip thinking about what we really want. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's like, no, I want to be busy. Fingers on keyboards, type in the code. Yeah. But I, slowing I would, down to really reflect on what is the difference we're trying to make in the world. You know, now I was with a client the, the other week and they're 
we're going through this process. Like, so when do we get to cut start coding again? Yeah. <laughs> and it's sort of like, well, it'll, it'll come, it'll come, right? There's the right, I, there's, there's the building the right thing and building the thing right, right? And so. I, I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, you should have beat me with the building, building the wrong thing writer. Dude, that sounds like a brilliant. So like a, who, 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 who would ever come talk I heard once. Yeah, I have to think. Yeah. No, no. And from you, I learned the word uh, agile theater. Um, oh. Yeah. And uh, well, separate set of conversations. Uh, but uh, it's it's. I, I think that the nice part of that industry is in the last, I'd say, ten years or so. There's been a growing recognition of, and whether it's through the UX lean stuff or through sort of you know. The, the idea of design, design thinking or any of those sort of things that promote this kind of this discovery, this, you know, what problem that the research is being an important part of it and not just sort of stories encoding, stories encoding, stories encoding. Right. I think it's been a, a welcome refreshment. And I see, I mean, just in terms like, you know, product, you know, yeah. like, you know, 10 years ago, would you, maybe you'd call yourself a product strategist 10 years ago. I don't know, but it seems to be a big shift from project to product. Product is just like outcomes. It's sort of um, a bit of an in vogue term for thinking about whatever you're doing in terms of a product lens or a service lens. Right. Maybe just another build on this one. And this sort of gets back to the, the classic uh, lean startup book. Yeah. Which seems like a really long time ago, but it really it does in the grand scheme of the cosmos. In, in the cosmos, a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a second. How many ago. How many days ago did that book come out? That's that's a good research topic for us to go. I'll, I'll do the calculations and get back to you on that one. Less <laughs> that. But it really comes down to right is uh, facing uncertainty and how you navigate all that uncertainty, which hmm. gets to a posture of experimentation and learning which is sometimes very different from you know how some larger enterprise organizations practice their flavor of agile mm -hmm. where you know like the, a feature factory for example where it's a pipe yes this has ideas the coders make the ideas real comes out the other end of the pipe. Was it the right thing to build at the right time with all the other risk things? Well, we don't know, but the pipe is running. Yes. So We're deploying the, factory, daily. the factory is is running. And you know, a lot of the factories are kind of jammed up also for other reasons. But you know, I think the the essence of the work of, of the consulting work, um, orbital design product stuff is uh, embracing the uncertainties, framing your thinking about things in terms of experiments and learning opportunities, mm -hmm. and then leveraging what you're learning as you go, which is a very musical thing. Like yeah. when, when we're improvising together in a jam session, you're processing what the drummer does and then letting that sort of inspire new creative input uh output you know what i'm playing on guitar is a reflection of what i've absorbed from the others who are in the room or my observations of what's happening with the music 
And something similar happens in a, in a product setting. You spend time with customers, you get out of the building, you, you learn kind of what's going on and how people behave and what their aspirations are and where they get stuck and what their pain points are. And those things sort of flow through the product mind and manifest as a response to those inputs. But even that response, that, that prototype that we just built is in fact another opportunity yeah. to learn something and it just loops. Constant loops. So, so let, me, let me ask you here, who, so you got your sort of orbital track, you got your product strategist track, uh -huh. you got your musician sort of track. Who have been some of your influences along the way, either, either people or sort of books or movements? Like how, yeah, who have been some of the ones that helped sort of influence the way you sort of think, think about? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm not prepared to answer. Oh, I, I sent a question. <laughs> I know. There was plenty of time to prepare for the interview. You're so right. Well, let me look at my bookshelf. <laughs> Just do a zoom in. <laughs> well, it's sort of changed over time, like the, the list of, of inspirations and influences and stuff. Um, right now, what I'm listening to is uh, audiobooks are my jam. Like uh -huh. realizing that. I can, I can enjoy the story. I can process the content, but it doesn't have to pass through this thing. Hmm. It pass through this thing. Yeah. <laughs> the same. It goes into the same brain. <laughs> like I always like. It was so funny. I guess like just growing up, it, like it was in, like it was just strange to listen to a book. Yeah. You the books read. on tape. Do I remember the books on tape? Yeah. But now, I mean, every morning I'm listening to um, uh, this uh, uh, Ward Farnsworth, The Practicing Stoic. You can see oh, the bookmarks. I see. And it's an amazing um, curation of thoughts and wisdom from Marcus Aurelius and Seneca and, you know, the, all of the sort of the ancient Greek and Roman thinkers about how to think about the world and what's so cool about the Stoic philosophy spectrum is how it intersects with Buddhist thinking too. And I, I've been also reading recently um, Pema Chodron and uh, there's a really cool one called fail, fail again, fail better, which is a, uh, sort of like an interview that's based on a commencement address that she gave. Um, but it's so helpful. It's so helpful. Just about like facing adversity, taking a punch, get knocked down and how you get back up. Hmm. So, so, so inspiring. And then musically, um, it's a kaleidoscope. It changes all the time. This morning, I was listening to the, um, the Virginia drummer, Nate Smith, hmm. has an album where it's just him. 
the uh, playing you know, it's 11 tracks the the record is called pocket change and it's just um him chopping up time in crazy crazy ways it's freaking mind-blowing and so like it's almost like meditative to just be present for someone who you know like you get time ticking away and you know you a beat is like choom, 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 choom. Nate Smith looks at a beat and and gets right in front of the beat on the two and four and right behind the beat on the one and three when you listen to it your brain just goes <laughs> it's just so good it's so good um i've also been listening to this amazing indian um guitar player called mandolin srinivas played a five string uh electric mandolin uh, you know, it does. It doesn't look or sound like the mandolins we know from like yeah. Western bluegrass. This is a an Indian sound. So it's like a sitar. How close is the sitar? Just like it smaller. Sounds, or? It's just. It's kind of sounds like a like a almost like a. Uh, it, it sounds just like an electric guitar to me. Okay. Nate Smith. Yeah, and then um, and just being inspired to like musically by. Um, uh, I'm a huge Prince fan and Prince, it's almost seems silly to just say Prince because there are so many different princes. Like when he was just starting out as a teenager and then Dirty Mind, when he went on tour with the Rolling Stones and then got booed off stage and then 1999 and then Purple Rain, we all know. And then what happened after Purple Rain in the aftermath of his stardom um, and then in the 80s and 90s and then later in his life when he really became very experimental spiritually and musically uh, up until the very end. In a way, it, it kind of reflects, I think, to some extent, aspirations we all might have of reinvention of constant learning, of finding new ways to express ourselves and of evolving. You're not frozen in time. You don't like yeah. Prince didn't have to be purple rain prints forever. Yeah. He was, he was purple rain prints for, I don't know, maybe like a couple of months yeah. and off and just changed. And I think that's a fascinating lesson for me and maybe for a lot of other people is how are we going to change? It's, you know, I've often thought that um, artists who are kind of forced to go out and play their hit every night, it must feel sort of on the one hand suffocating, you know, I've seen different, different views on, on one view is like, as long as fans want to hear me play, I'm getting paid, I'll play it. On the other hand, to your point, it's like, well, if I'm going to see the certain artists, I know they're going to play, these songs and these songs. And, you know, it's hard for some artists once they establish that to continue to move on beyond that, which made them popular yeah. and then just keep going. And so, and the real fans are interested. We'll stick with them. It's a tension yeah. between what you were and mm -hmm. who you are today. Yeah. And so as that performer goes up to the microphone to sing the hit from 10 yeah. years ago, is it, are you in the present moment or are you in a time machine going back and dredging up the past? 
Mm-hmm. And what do people want to hear? Do they want to hear the past or they, do they yeah. want to hear who you are today? Yeah. No, it's, it's a, a lot of artists, the ones that I've certainly admired over time, always changed, even up in the very end. And when you look back on their career, there's certain, to your points, you know, of a big deadhead, I can tell you the difference between fall of 72 and spring of 73. And I, you can you can look back um, and there's times where you're like, mm, but there's also times when you know how those bands evolved. And one of the things I've always admired of them is they didn't go out every night and play trucking and touch a great, right? They just kept on playing and you either liked it sometimes and sometimes you didn't like it and it didn't work. Um, but the ability to constantly put yourself out there and evolve and change takes, takes courage. But I think a lot of the best artists continue to do that up until sort of the end. Yeah. I mean, it's all a gift, isn't it? I mean, yeah. time continues to march forward. Our time, even on this call, yes. comes to a close soon. And how do we honor the time, the precious time we have together? Yes. By having, you know, a, maybe a different conversation. Um, and like the connection between Grateful Dead and Prince, really clever ways of painting time. That moment on stage, what did they do with that strand of time? They hung ornaments on it. They painted it with mm-hmm. huge brushes. That's just so rad. And I, I guess that connects back to doing product strategy work and agile stuff too, right? Because, I mean, what do we say? It's like, it's a war on waste. Like, it's just the most tragic thing when armies of, not armies, let's use it, like big group teams of people who invest so much of their precious time and life force to make something that isn't useful or valuable. Like, what's worse than that? Well, there are a lot of things worse. Yes. But... That's pretty bad too. It's just tragic misuse of time. And we can do better with the time we have. Our teams can do better with the time we have. We can, you know, whether it's improving our processes or how we communicate or how we interrogate an idea before it gets into the Mm -hmm. factory to go make it. You know, that's like the most humane thing we, we can do is just be really, really thoughtful and careful with the time we have. Well, Tom, I look forward to enjoying the, or celebrating the 18,000th day um, for you. Maybe Come it's over. at some point we'll have, we'll have to do it. We'll have to do the 18,000th day party. Come Maybe over by then we're, like, we're all sort of like, you know, hang out again. Um, but well, uh, I really want to thank you. Yes. It'll be so great to walk into the space again. I miss I miss like everybody being out and, and being around. And so we're going to um, when this is all as it winds down, hopefully over the summer, um, I'm going to show up and yeah, we'll, we'll hang out and bang some drums together. There you go. Uh, I'll make some music. I've got awesome. sticks for you. Dude, I can't <laughs> wait. Tom, it's been so fun having you here. It's so good to see you, man. It's a. Uh, it's been a while. Like I like the I like the I like the sharp glasses and and the tightened up. Is this part of the product strategy, um, or just kind of t- time for a bit of a? Was that twenty twenty well, last year or so twenty twenty or? I had a really long beard that I yeah. just so long I had to braid it, and beards don't fit into masks very well. Uh, and at orbital, I I'm not wearing one mask. I'm wearing two masks, so the beard uh, had to go. 
and the gotcha. eyes started to go around, oh, dude, look at these. around, around day 17,000. <laughs> I started to notice like, ah, I can't really see stuff anymore. <laughs> oh, you too. You too. No, I'm, I'm, uh, I turned 48 uh, this summer and about three months ago, I was like, you know what? I, the, the fonts are kind of, kind of small these days. My, my, my engineers <laughs> use really small fonts. Like what's going on? And I was like, I had any glasses. So. And I just got used to it until I went to the eye doctor and they were like, this is how your, your eyes look normally. And this is with a prescription. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I know. I, I noticed now. I noticed so much more. Like, oh my god! Look at it there. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, Tom, thanks for coming on the program. It's so good to hang out again, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you soon. Yeah, and thank you for all you're doing to share more stories and and you know help everyone you're helping, including me. So thank thanks, you. Thanks, Tom. It means a lot. Thanks, man. All, all right. right. Take, take care. Catch you on the flip.